0: hello and welcome to everyday sublime this is your host josh summers and i am delighted to have you here today Uh, in today's episode i share with you a talk which is some reflections i gave recently about the role that patience plays in the path And I really see as many of my teachers have emphasized that patience is the essential, one of the essential uh, foundational mindsets or qualities of mind that support the transformation and development of the heart. So uh, I hope you enjoy those reflections I share today. And before I give you today's talk, I just wanna say that if you're looking for a day of practice, if you're looking for a kind of a, a mini retreat experience, Terry and I, on December 11th, that's a Saturday, December 11th, Terry and I will be teaching a a day of yin practice, which will include yin yoga. It'll be a two-hour yin yoga practice. That's a very relaxed form of uh, yoga where you stay in poses for several minutes on the floor and relax passively. Uh, This is not a performative or athletic style of yoga. It's a very contemplative, meditative style, which um, both relaxes the body and opens up the energy flow within the body so that when we sit, when we come to meditation, we we enter the meditation often after a yin practice. People find that when they come to the sitting, they're much calmer, more relaxed, more clear, and they access um, different states of samadhi more easily. So, getting into samadhi is, is not the, the goal per se. Getting into calm states is not the goal. But the calm, clear, settled, tranquil states really allow for the individual to engage with the meditation and to start to see more clearly what's occurring within their body and mind and to develop insight around what they see. Um, and we found that the Qigong practice, that the, the simple movement practices where you bring awareness to the the circulation and and cultivation of energy also strengthens the benefit of yin yoga and meditation together. So we really think that combining these three practices together offers a synergistic benefit above and beyond what you would get if you just did one of the practices by themselves. So we'll have this day-long retreat on December 11th. You can register on our website under joshsummers.net forward slash events. You'll see the winter's day-long retreat there. Um, and uh, there's also a link for you in the show notes. So do check that out if you're interested. The only other thing I'll say is that another opportunity to practice with us is to join our online weekly studio suite of classes, which we call the Riverbird Sangha, where Terry and I teach four classes each week, both live on Zoom, and then those classes get recorded and stored in our archive library where you can access them whenever you'd like. So that includes a meditation class, a yin yoga and qigong class, a pure yin yoga with a little bit of meditation class, and a yang yoga class. So check out the Riverbird Sangha at joshsummers.net forward slash sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. And with your membership, you also get half off our workshops and retreats. So there's a double benefit there. Uh, So do check that out. And without further ado, I give you today's talk, From Patience to Peace. So as often happens after I give a a reflection on practice and some of the teachings from the Buddha, we sit and then we have a discussion. And usually by the end of the discussion, that's churned up some new thoughts and reflections from me. And then I sit with those through the week and, and think about what how to how to uh, move the theme forward in the, in the next session and what, what will be the next kind of thing to reflect upon or speak about and highlight. and um, And just sort of reviewing the general... Tone of kind of the, the recent topic of looking at the changing nature of experience, and starting to open to at times some of the un, the feelings of uncertainty, the, the painful or challenging uh, emotions of uncertainty that can come up when the um, the uncertain, the changing, the impermanent nature of experiences, either in the short term or long term, uh, make themselves clear to us, and. Um, you know sometimes in Vipassana practice, the the teaching is is kind of focused and and um, directed in such a way to give uh, awareness a reminder to pay attention to the conditions of experience or the objects of experience in a particular way. so there's there's often a sense of uh, sometimes technique involved in terms whether you're noting or doing a labeling technique or scanning your mind through your body there's there's some uh emphasis in vipassana often about technique but one of the things that i was sort of was i was encouraged to to practice with or an energy that i was encouraged to bring to practice um, many years back and then i've heard from other teachers is the energy of patience in this path the energy of, of being patient and and be willing to endure difficulty, not as a way of celebrating difficulty or kind of, um, kind of punishing oneself for the difficulty, but being willing to be with the difficulty enough to start to understand what is actually dr- driving it within your own experience. What's, what's, what's agitating um, and proliferating the, the difficulty. So I had this, idea in mind for a theme around patient endurance as a as a kind of a talk. And while I sat down over the last couple of days and with different notebooks and started collecting ideas and thoughts around patient endurance, my mind moved laterally into remembering um, a kitten that I used to share a house with. So you're going back over 15 years, but I had a housemate at one point who had a small cat. And, um, if you've ever been in a situation similar to this, you know, sometimes people that have cats or kittens like to have a kind of an arsenal of toys, dog owners do the same thing, but there's usually an arsenal of toys that you can play with, play the play with the cat around or with, and, um, in various shared common spaces in the house, there was usually some sort of bucket or bin of different cat toys. I'll be bringing this back to patient endurance and Vipassana shortly, (laughs) But um, my favorite toy, and I think the, my, my housemate's favorite toy to play with this kitten with, was the um, kind of the I jokingly call it the cating pole. It's not a fishing pole that catches fish. It's a catting, It's a cat pole that catches cats. <laughs> so it's a, it's a it's sort of a stick or skinny skinny pole of sorts with a, a long string or a piece of yarn that that dangles off it. And there's something about that that wiggly movement of the string or yarn that really captures the kitten's attention and i remembered just watching the, the, the kitten kind of crouch in this like um coiled up tension of potential energy and then at a certain moment the the kitten would just spring and pounce on this on onto the str- onto the string and kind of claw at it and maul it and and roll around with it on its back and and when I was thinking of this, I was like, "Well, okay, what? Is, how does that relate to meditation? <laughs> how does that relate to specifically um, the kind of the emphasis that we're bringing to the meditation of shamata and vipassana?" So the way I started to think about it was that in Shamatha and vipassana, shamata again means a kind of steadiness of presence, and Vipassana is a clear observation of what you're aware of when you're steady and present and the two go really well together. So the more steady you are, the more you're able to see what's happening, the more you emphasize really looking closely, you start to feel a stiller or unmoving dimension of your mind. That's with the moving experience of, of, of the content. So I was, I was sort of thinking that in, in the, in the kitten and string analogy, like, when the kitten is is kind of still, and I'm sure cat owners have language to describe this that I'm 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 not going to pick up on uh, perfectly here, but you know there's that that crouched stillness that the kitten comes to when it's watching the, the 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 wiggly string, and in that crouched state, you could say the kitten in, in a certain way is in a state of shamata vipassana. There's a stillness the kitten's not moving, and it's very aware of what's happening but there's a certain way that the wiggliness of the string starts to activate kind of a a whirl of impulse within the animal that gets the animal to spring into action and pounce on the spring on the string and that's and that's it's that 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 development from just watching to the winding up of the coiled tension to move to then the action of moving springing upon the, on, on the string that I kind of want to unpack and, and, and see if there's any parallel to the meditative experience, because I think there's, there's certain, um, kind of hard wiring that we share with our mammalian ancestors going back millions of years of, of natural selection that essentially we were not as my friend, Bob Wright tries to uh, drill home a lot. We were not, we have not evolved to be happy creatures. We, the, that the, the sort of the dictum of natural selection is to get genes into the next generation and whatever kind of Physical, psychological traits work within the environment at that time to get genes in the next generation, provide kind of the the, the, um, the evolutionary fitness. So um, when we watch the kitten spring, like that, that kitten is, is acting out of instinct to observe and to see changing phenomena and then to react to it or to jump on it. And when we meditate, I think the the, the analogy here is that we can, and, and, and if you've meditated more than five minutes, you've had this experience dozens of times already, but you're there, you're just minding your own business, settling on your perch, relax and observing what's happening. And then within that, when you're present to that, you're awake and aware of what's occurring. You might be aware of sounds changing the sound of traffic, and you can, might feel yourself very still in relationship to the changing sounds of traffic. And you might be aware of the, the fluctuating sensations in your body. And then suddenly you wake up, you come to and you realize, wait, where, where, was, where have I been for the last two minutes? Where have I been for the last five minutes? Where, where was I? And you realize that unbeknownst to you, you had been carried away by a stream of thought now that's not a moving string that carried you away that hooked you but a moving uh, string of phenomena like a moving thought stream in a way tantalized you enough (laughs) tantalized you to some degree that part of you grabbed on and pounced on it and then got swept away by it until the moment you realize wait a minute i'm not Awake. I'm not aware of what's happening anymore. So you come to, you wake up, and this happens over and over again. And as I've tried to establish with like the gentleness and the permissiveness of yin yin meditation, like we don't want to try to stop that. Most most meditators, the the the, the kind of the 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 big error that many meditators make is one of assuming that the practice is about stopping that kind of behavior. <laughs> Like the cat, the kitten wouldn't pounce on the string. The mind won't pounce on thought and get tangled up and, and rank wrestle with it, that that won't happen. But Vipassana is not about changing experience per se Like in, in the, in the directness of it. Um, when we talk about changing experience, maybe there's, and I would say not more than maybe there will be ways that we, change how we relate to experience which conditions how our our future unfolds That's that's another whole thing but in terms of the immediacy of experiencing things when we sit when we meditate we're really not trying to change anything so much we're trying to understand how experience unfolds and then how our mind is relating to the things that are unfolding so when you see your mind wander you know the the tendency to, to view that as a problem that's actually as i try to often say that's that's the learning curve right there something hooked you something hooked you in a way that you didn't see it happen that's the magic trick you got you got hoodwinked <laughs> without knowing you got hoodwinked so <clears throat> the practice is in a certain sense learning to see the changing nature of experience but then from, and I think this is what this uh, this statement from Ajahn Chah. But this is uncertain. That what that's trying to get to is that seeing the changing nature of experience triggers impulses in us that have been inherited from millions of years of evolution. But triggers impulses in us in us to do something. And most of our life, we're we're kind of been kind of pushed around by impulses. But the practice holds up the potential that there's a a peace and a well-being independent of pursuing impulses or independent of acting on impulses. And this brings me to the the passage that I thought of last week. So there's a quotation from, I mentioned Ajahn Chah. Ajahn Chah was the this great Thai forest teacher of the last century. And his senior uh, Western student was named or is named Ajahn Samedo. He's now retired from being the abbot of a monastery in England, but he's still with us. And, And this is from Ajahn Samedo, the American monk trained under Ajahn Shah. Samedo says, when you try to get rid of fear or anger, what happens? You just get restless or discouraged and have to go eat or drink or smoke or do something. But if you wait and endure restlessness, greed, dislike, doubt, despair, and sleepiness, if you observe these conditions as they cease and end, you will attain a kind of calm and mental clarity, which you never achieve if you're always going after something else. This is where the the patient endurance comes in. And he says, this is the virtue of meditation. If you sit and patiently endure, you find your mind going into a calm state or a state of calm. That calm occurs because there's no more trying to become something or trying to get rid of something. There's a kind of inner peace or relaxation of mind in which you stop following the struggle to become or to have sensory pleasure or to get rid of some unpleasant conditions that you're experiencing. More and more you are at ease in these conditions. You begin to learn to be at ease with pain, with restlessness, with mental anguish, and so forth. And then you find that the mind will be very clear bright, and calm. <clears throat> so back to the kitten and the string. I think one of the things that meditation starts to make a, people more aware of are the kind of the relentless way, way that we are pushed by these impulses just like the kitten, we see something moving, wiggling, we see a, uh, a, a tremor in our, in our body, we hear a vibration in the, in the of, of sound somewhere, or we more more likely feel a combination, we experience a combination of thoughts and feelings laced with memory and fears and all sorts of emotions. And those things together push us propel us to take action in the form of thought, like planning something out, trying to fix something. And on one level, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's always going to be moving us to some other moment for the experience of peace or resolution to be um, realized. and that's just and that that you could say that that anticipation that waiting for the peace to be realized in a future moment is the movement and the perpetual wheel of cyclical existence or what's called samsara so so this wheel of samsara is seeking satisfaction in experiences of, of some sort whether it's the experience of a Pleasant taste, pleasant smell, pleasant touch, pleasant thought, pleasant sound. An idea of becoming somebody else, seeking to become something beyond where you are right now. That's nothing against self-improvement. But peace is not found in making yourself better. It's It's found in waking up out of... To who you are outside of the separate self that thinks it needs to be better so tonight, when we practice taking this uh, if, if this image of the the cat playing with a string appeals to you if you can if you've seen what it's like when you can as the observer of that game of play, and you know what it's like when the cat kind of coils into a tense posture of pregnant action. It's about to pounce. You may start to feel echoes or patterns of that in you when we practice. And that opens us up to kind of really the world of inner feelings, but say you have an itch, common experience there's going to be the, the tactile sensation of the itch itself. There might be some thoughts you have about the itch. Like, I, I don't like that. Or I what, should I move? I don't know if I can move in meditation. I, he talks about itches all the time, but I can't remember if there's permission or not to scratch the itch. And, you know, within all those thoughts, you can start to feel that kind of like a, like kind of in my notes, I kept referring to it as, a, as an inner tornado of energy of, of of the impulse of swirling and building i recently saw a little bit of uh, wizard of oz again and i was reminded of, of the tornado scene there and raise this question it's like how do those tornadoes really form i don't know anything about weather patterns or anything like that but it, it just captivated for a minute and it, it occurs to me that there's a similar feeling in the, in ourselves or at least this is how i feel at times it, some very very simple stimuli kick something up and it starts to stir something up and it whips up and suddenly i'm in this tornado and like it's there's a vortex in it where it's pulling all energy towards it to make this particular action or make take this course of a plan of um maybe resolution or engagement. And it's that impulse. It's those kinds of impulses. No matter how small or big they are, I would, I would say it's helpful to start to reflect on in practice, to become awake to that energy. And as Sumedho is saying, can we patiently endure it? Now, the, the context there is if it's tolerable. If it feels like it's causing pain, if it's causing uh, sort of any form of of trauma in the sense that it's it's triggering you to feel overwhelmed or flooded, this is where the we need to practice playing the edge with these 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 kinds of hot experiences. But with the more garden variety patterns of itches and niggling irritations with maybe colleagues or housemates or something, um, within the workable range of difficult experiences, to really sit and explore the feeling that comes with them, and and so you may find one way to integrate this into your practice is that when you find yourself waking up from having drifted off, so in the wake up moment, you may not necessarily be um, aware of the stream of thought. That you were waking up from and, and this is where i kind of we'll get into this more when we start to talk about how, how we become more aware of thinking but there's a kind of a view and in, in, in a lot of mindfulness world that when you're when your practice is going well you can be mindful of thoughts as they're occurring so just like i can be mindful of picking up a, a, a tea mug right now as it's occurring i'm aware of this event as it's happening in real time i can do that and the, pre- and, the, and the premise with mindfulness of thinking is that you can do the same thing with your thoughts, that you can be aware of them simultaneous to their occurring. This one trips me up a little bit because I find every time I become just enough aware of that they're happening, that interrupts the flow of thoughts and they tend to uh, disintegrate or break down or vanish or just to, to disappear or um, evaporate when I become conscious of them. So rather than um, trying to capture thoughts in real time, I encourage a a, a looser approach that you allow yourself to think when thinking occurs, but when you wake up out of it to really start to explore the dynamic of what you are in, there's usually some sort of residue of feeling in your body. Or at least I find there's a residue of feeling in my body. So I might be spun off in thought for a little while. I come to, and then I'm like, oh wait, there's this, there's this aftermath of of something in my body in terms of like a, a, a feeling or a pattern of feeling or a, a particular heart rate or a breathing pattern or a tension somewhere. There's some sort of somatic representation of the the kinds of thought streams and dynamics that my mind got caught in. And so it can be really good to pay attention to that, to really give full attention to that, not as to get away from it, but to understand the kind of the somatic manifestation of these dynamics. And the idea is that when we become a little bit more aware of the somatic presentation, particularly when we start to get turned or like, when things start to kick up in us, when there's that a little bit of that tornado swirl starting to to take form, the more we start to connect with a somatic manifestation of it, very likely, not always, and it's a practice, but very likely you will be able to have a little bit more agency around how you respond to the not like the the less somatic, the more mental, Manifestation of the dynamic in terms of the kinds of thoughts um, and kind of advertisements for actions that you might hear in your mind. <clears throat> so the idea is that by 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 opening up to this this these patterns, particularly the impulses to do something, either to to get rid of something, to get to get more of something, to hold on to something, to get it right, to become somebody different a person that doesn't have confusion in meditation, to become a person that sits more calmly, to feel all of these impulses as and when they're there, and to be patient with them, to not have to do anything to them get or to, to move them along, but just to be patient with their expression, which is not so easy. But if you're willing to do that, as Semedo is saying, your mind will go into a calm state because there's no more struggle with pushing away, holding on, or becoming somebody else. And we can get a real taste of peace, not after the meditation, not after three months of meditation not after a string of day-long retreats with Josh and Terry (laughs) does help, but right now. Okay, thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed today's talk. I hope it gives you some reflections and pointers for your own practice so that you can access peace and the sublime in your everyday life. If you would like to practice with me and Terry either on our weekly classes or in our upcoming uh, Winter's Day of Yin, our day long intensive retreat, uh, which is really just a relaxed day together practicing Yin Yoga, Qigong, and some sitting meditation, um, you can check all that out on my website, joshsummers.net forward slash events. Uh, You'll see all the information there for the December 11th retreat, and we both really look forward to practicing with you if you're able to make it. Until then, stay safe, stay strong, keep practicing, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take good care.